Any intro music for this one? What? There might be. Oh, there might be. Okay, cool. Not sure. Ideation. So, okay. Uh, oh, yeah, we should wait for the... I mean, we don't... We can at least attempt to start talking about it. This is going to take another minute or so. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, no, it's just... Because uh, I was... Uh, to be honest, <laughs> we want to record. Are we, are we recording right now? I mean, it is recording. Okay, we probably good, yeah. won't use this, but... Well, I, I got to be honest, I had not heard of that term ideation before. So I did a little internet research about this and I found yeah. out the um, the science or the, not, it's not a philosophy, I guess, but the science of new ideas and communicating new ideas, I guess. Yep. Uh, I knew, Obviously, I had been or I had some experience. I think I've had at least three original thoughts in my life so far. So I think yeah. that I feel well versed in experience <laughs> in ideation. But um, I mean, and the larger theme of what we were going for here, too, was uh, inspiration. Uh, ideation being a part of this, I was um, uh, I, I was kind of excited to talk about this. I just wanted to go a little deeper than merely inspiration. Inspiration is too broad a topic to talk about in this format. Mm -hmm. um, there are too many facets of it, and ideation as the genesis point. It's not necessarily the absolute first. That would be some form of our nature-nurture thing that we'll go into at right. some later date, but ideation is the first step in making something happen. It's not necessarily identifying the problem. In fact, that's there are kind of two forms of ideation, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. There okay. is problem solving, and there is, I had a proper word for this, uh, it is just inspiration. You are either looking for a solution to a problem and come up with an idea that will solve that problem, which is directed research into attempting to find an idea, Okay. or you happen across one during more general, non-directed, freeform exploration. Mm -hmm. um, and in that form, you are, you have created a solution for a problem that either does or does not exist, and it is up to you to find it, right, which okay. is always taxing. Yes. Um, and it leads to a lot of desperation if you are the kind of person who tries to implement their ideas, most of the time you have to let those ideas drop because they just hit against reality in a very problematic way. You attempt right. to overfit them um, and nothing comes of that. That's actually where statistical anomalies tend to come from, where you attempt to overfit a trend line. That's not, you weren't, <laughs> it seems a little generous to say that a stock market researcher has found a trend line relating to industrial output averages for coal um, and how that impacts whether stocks go up or down, right. it's hard to call that a problem. That is him looking for a correlation between two points. Right. And in that instance, he's not problem solving. He's doing freeform exploration, and what he has done is overfit. He has used a hammer and found what he believes to be a nail, and he will hammer that to his detriment right, exactly. um, in almost all circumstances. So that form of inspiration, although it is fun and it absolutely is necessary because just trying to solve problems, you know, for one thing, that's exhausting. It's yeah. not fun most of the time, but it's also, um, it doesn't tend to get you your either, not even necessarily lifetime goals, but mm -hmm. it, it keeps you, it keeps you from looking up 
right. far enough. Right, exactly. Well, I think that there's this weird idea that, you know, one, uh, one of those processes, perhaps problem solving, is you've got a puzzle in front of you and you're looking in the pile of pieces to find the one you know, the one that goes in the space or the slot you're looking for. Yeah. And then the other one is, is, oh, I found this puzzle piece. Now, where does this fit into this larger, perhaps even, you know, malformed uh, puzzle piece, uh, puzzle that I have uh, assembling in front of me? And I think those two processes are kind of interesting uh, in and of itself as well. And yet, I mean, is there any kind of, uh, you know, broad pattern or broad problem or specific area where, you know, one approach is different than the other? I mean, is it something that you can consciously go out and do? Because if, you know, if I speak, you know, for my own life and maybe for the rest of humanity's lives as well, if I feel so bold, <laughs> you know, the idea of directed which research. Which we absolutely can do, yes. which we've proven that we are a uh, perfect yeah. benchmark absolutely. for, uh, for the focus test of reality. Yeah, I like to think humanity, past, present, and future as yes. well. Okay. The, but if I, I mean, the idea of problem solving, right, directed research, I mean, am I wrong to kind of assume that that's where most of, you know, our mental activity kind of takes place is in this area that says that, you know, we are, you know, find ourselves in a context or a situation. We are looking for areas, looking for pro, uh, solutions to problems that are directly smacking us in the face. Because it would seem that, you know, that's where most of uh, our that's where most of our brain space when looking for ideas, solutions, or even, once again, inspiration is, when, once again, are we just kind of directing that and trying to find it? Because it seems to me that I think that's where most of, at least I think I find where most of my searching for new ideas or new inspirations are, you know, like you said, problems you've already defined, problems you perhaps already have solved or some component yeah. of it is there. And we're, you know, once again, searching and looking for that, uh, uh, for that piece to fit into what we're uh, what the overall thing we're trying to construct is right. So we've got a good idea of what we're what we're looking for, right? We to, to just grind that puzzle metaphor into the ground, right? We've got the picture on the box of what we want to accomplish. I mean, it's we, a, yeah, we're searching for those pieces. It's a very solid metaphor for this particular topic. Thank you I very mean, much. You, you talk about you talk about not merely one puzzle, but a number of puzzles in different disciplines and different genres Absolutely. of things, because there's there's more than one problem. It turns out. Uh, you could conflate. <laughs> it's all part of the big problem. Yeah, you though. could conflate multiple puzzles um, in a dangerous way and try to link them all together. That's what happens when you get a little bit fatalistic. Yeah, or you, or insane. You yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. Or one or the yeah. other. Okay, yeah, certainly. Yeah. You you tie it all together in a grand conspiracy of either happiness or satisfaction or Jewishness. Or, that was yeah, a lizard people. You know, it's all. No. It's a fantastic example of the conspiratorial mind. It was in uh, John Ronson's book. So you've been publicly shamed. I believe it was. It was, <laughs> yeah, right. it was either that that's or it was. A, that's the title of it. Oh yeah, you've been publicly shamed. Oh, it's a fabulous book. Awesome. I highly okay. recommend it. Um, but talking to someone who uh, he was, he did a, a book a while back called Vem, where he investigated a bunch of secret societies. And one of the conspiracy theorists that he was using essentially as an expert on where to go mm -hmm. was talking about the Bilderberg group. Right. And one of John's contentions was that there weren't a whole lot of Jews there. Yes. For it being a Jew conspiracy. Yeah. And he said, <laughs> yeah, but there are a lot of Jewish people there. Right. That's an example of overfitting mm -hmm. <laughs> an idea. Absolutely. You have, you are desperate to yes. get that nail hammered. Okay, And you have yeah. the idea and you just force it and it doesn't fit. And you're trying, you know, you're trying, or to use your analogy, we're, we're taking this puzzle piece and yeah. God damn it, it looks like it fits. Yes, exactly. And you just cram it yeah. over and over <laughs> and it doesn't fit, but you will give it, you will give it your best shot. Mm -hmm. um, oh man, this is not, oh, there it is. Okay.
apologies everyone there's a bunch of static going on in the background because i'm trying to get or i guess dead air because i'm trying to get my notes up here i'm trying to use more technology than i really should be for this and i apologize um but no i think i think talking about how ideas are created for the purpose of problem solving you everyone tends to i'm not going to blame any one person especially not you uh most people spend their their life at ground level because that's where your feet are that's where you need to make things happen this goes back to our idea of being way more mundane most of the time um when we're not trying to be horribly aspirational and even when we are you have to deal with the details right um although a lot of the time hearkening back to expertise there are people that you can refer to. Yes, exactly. To fix those kinds of things for you, and right. that's not necessarily an idea. I mean, I guess to some idea, to some extent, maybe it is an idea to say, "Hey, someone else can do this for me." Right. Um, but the form of ideation that we're talking about is where you have a problem, like for example, you uh, want to paint something on a wall, or you want to start a podcast, or yep. make a video, or any of those kinds of things. All things that are highly content generative for mm-hmm. a uh, web blog atmosphere, Absolutely. and you. Um, you don't want to have to resort to other people for those things because the whole point right, is okay, to yeah. write is to write a book that no one's ever read. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you uh, you can pull ideas from them. You can derive yes uh, from other people's work. I mean, to some extent, coming up with a coming up with topics and a form for a history podcast or even a podcast like this. I'm pulling from a number of inspiration points. Yeah, absolutely. It's, this is not this is not from whole cloth. I want to get into serendipity at a later point because I think it's very misleading. But just keeping on topic for now, um, do you have specific inspirations for your forthcoming podcast? Yeah, I you know that's it's a it's part of the larger inspirations that I've been dealing with you know throughout my life and especially in the last you know about ten years or so since I've been you know on this just, you know, decade-long mental obsession with international politics in general. Right. And so, you know, I had some, uh, to, you know, shorten that long story down very, very, uh, very, very soon, the idea of for doing this, you know, really came from some of the history podcasters that I had listened to before, and it can't kind of seemed like a more effective way of, you know, reaching an audience that I felt would be uh, more amenable and uh, more interested in that format as well. I mean, I love writing, I love writing and I like books, especially, but... You know, that world seems to have such high barriers in front of it that I was like, okay, right. well, podcasts, you know, there's the, the cost that's implicit into producing them, but then it's free content. You can build audience, uh, an audience. And, you know, seeing what other people had done uh, and other podcasts that I had enjoyed, I mean, that was, you know, one of the definite inspirations if we're going to get specifics here. You know, Absolutely. We talked, yeah, we've talked about Dan Carlin before. Uh, I'm a big fan of Mike Duncan's work on the history of Rome, and he does one on revolutions now. And... What in his format have you pulled out? So the, the 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 difficulty I've had in constructing the podcast is finding a bridge between a much uh, almost like an audiobook format, which is Mike Duncan, and this almost as we've talked about before, this very um, almost uh, vague. Uh, uh, extemporaneous. Yeah, the uh, yeah the extemporaneous, the almost spontaneous, but yet very very 
complex way that Dan Carlin presents his material. And so, you know, trying to find a way, you know, a way in between these. A conversation with sources is generally the way I've heard it described. Absolutely. And he, you know, he has, but, you know, not wanting to take the overall full narrative approach and especially the scale of the thing too. I mean, you know, you're going to start off podcasting and you're going to like say like, okay, you know, uh, I've never climbed a mountain before, but that, um, that K, uh, that, that, that Kilimanjaro, that looks, that looks fun, you know? And you're like, oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do as I'm going to approach Dan Carlin and podcasting. So, you know, I've tried to find a, a gap or a bridge between the two styles where I'd, you know, really wanted to be rigorous in a, in a larger or episodic narrative format like Mike Duncan does, but yet still contain more of this extemporaneous, almost conversational style uh, that uh, Dan Carlin has. And those two, you know, trying to bridge those together, trying to infuse what I think is kind of lacking overall, especially with that, you know, first run through that we had as well. Right. You know, it turned out the thing was so goddamn dry that it was, I, even myself, after like the third time listening to it, I was like, this is just unlistenable. And so it kind of forced me to say that, you know, well, maybe I need to come back around and look into these things. And, and in that sense, you know, building on that ins- inspiration, you know, recognizing where other people had gone, it still just clicked into my head that, you know, the topic, the sources, the, the approach, the format, all of it had just this small little genesis point with listening to those podcasts. But as soon as this, you know, once again, as soon as the thing clicked, right, as soon as the idea came in to do this, uh, I couldn't get it out of my head. And that's where it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And that's that for me is where a lot of things tend to develop and come from overall, which is that I just can't stop thinking about them. Right. And that's where it kind of comes from. And whenever something, you know, that's usually my threshold, which is that uh you know, even if I find that I've disliked like a movie or a show or even an experience in my life, you know, as long as it got me to think about it, you know, I, I tend to warm up to it after a while. Or I, can, I tend to love its flaws as much as its uh, as much as its uh, positive aspects as well. But in order to make this podcast work, you need not merely that drive. You're going to need ideas that sit on top of the grand idea of making this podcast that sits between an audiobook and a conversation or right. just an exposition. And that one idea is not going to mechanically get you through the rest of it. And this is where it goes between the inspiration and the solution side of ideas between those two poles. You need to somehow make it from one to the other. Because the inspiration one, when you get an inspiration, as long as you don't let it go for the sake of effort or (laughs) having to deal with the consequences, social or otherwise, of even pretending to do something, which can be dangerous. And it's not as if I'm, I assume you're not immune to this either. The mere possibility of failing to, um, the mere possibility, and possibly even succeeding in creating something that you have had an idea that you hold dear Mm -hmm. um, is painful sometimes. And it's, it's nice to have respectable goals, but sometimes you don't. Um, getting as long as you can get over that, that's actually a, that's another topic that I would like to discuss in detail later because it goes into the idea of it goes into our elitist premise of net producer and consumer right. is how you bridge that gap. And yeah. one of the ways you bridge that gap is to have some degree of disrespect for other people's opinions. Yes. Um, but that's that's absolutely off topic. Oh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm merely talking. Yeah. We're talking about with the idea that's forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> week five. Yeah. Um, you have to go from the freewheeling side where you go, man, would it be great if. Yes. And you suddenly have to deal with real problems. Right. You have to come up with, it's not, it would be great. It would be great if it flowed and all of, you know, the sources connected and it was coherent. 
But those are actual problems. Right. And the way that and though they require ideas, and I would submit that the methods of coming up with those ideas to solve those problems are largely the same. Right. You go through the same process of studying within the field and attempting to grab things from other disciplines mm -hmm. and combining. You do the same process, but because you are fighting an obstacle this time, because you're not just merely thinking of it in the clouds, yeah. it's extremely disheartening. And you have to be very critical because if the solution doesn't work, obviously you don't want to use it. Mm -hmm. But you got to know when to quit. You need to know which idea to work with. Yeah, exactly. And it's. I think that there's an idea within that as well. Uh, which is that a lot of times you can, or I've heard in my own experience with, and not, you know, I'm not vague booking here or anything like that, you know, <laughs> but I've, but I've just seen and, and experienced this for myself too, where you almost tend to felt like a failure to complete a project or a failure to, you know, achieve a goal almost seemed like it was your inability to kind of, you know, think ahead or plan out to what, to, you know, once again, you knew what you wanted to do, but you didn't necessarily have the clear picture of A, what it would look like when you were finished with it, and then B, the steps necessary to accomplish those co you know, to, to accomplish that goal as well. In which case, you know, it's, it's, it is a failure of imagination that you've kind of experienced where, you know, A, I, I didn't know what I was looking for exactly, but I knew what I wanted to, you know, where I wanted to get, but then I didn't see all of the potential pitfalls in front of me. And I've, you know, I've come away from that viewpoint a little bit. I find that's a little bit unreasonable to be so harsh on someone overall because, I mean, at that point, if you mentally worked out every step necessary to the absolute perfect, uh, you know, inspirational goal that you wanted to achieve and you had that fully formalized and, and, and envisioned... You'd be dead. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have had it. You, you went to the point where you're like, well, I do it anyway. And it's... It, it takes also, too long. Well, and also, too, it just hits that, it hits that idea, too, where, you know, you just can't experience. This is what I think we got back to with expertise uh, last week. You just can't fully foresee and experience those aspects as well. And in the past, right before, I think really before I matured overall in my creative self, there was that, you know, sense that, you know, if I wasn't able to see this full thing out, I was like, well, you know, I'm just setting myself up for something that I won't be able to see or fully accomplish. And now, you know, whenever I run into these, run into these problems, you know, I'm fully wanting to go through, I'm fully wanting to break them down. And in that sense, I, you know, I want those challenges of realizing and having those small victories on the way to do this thing. But, and the point I'm trying to raise here too, is that it by and large changes the the accomplishment, the goal of or even what it looked like that you wanted to accomplish. Right. And that's what I think is kind of formative here as well, which is that, you know, I was really inspired overall to do this. But by the time I got the first episode and I had written the first three or four scripts and I put them out and I recorded it and, you know, I sent it out to my friends and I got some feedback and I, and I took a, on a stock of it as well. You know, it wasn't what I was hoping it would be. And it almost, you know, it, it, I, it was like two days after I put it out there, I realized that I was like, no, this is not a mistake, right? But it's just a failure. Certainly. Right? Absolutely. And that's okay. Yeah. And it more importantly, I think, refined and altered in the best way possible the end goal of where I'm trying to head. But it didn't alter. I mean, it didn't necessarily at this point alter the idea itself. It's that you there need it's that you need lower level ideas to support yep. that higher level idea. You still want to expound upon the Cold War in a mm -hmm. strategic sense to the public. It's just that the methods you use for doing that require additional ideas to support them. Yeah. And you have to build something on top of that. You've got to refine methods. You have to, I think, once again, be critical about how you're going to approach this. And it's just an important way to, once again, allow and understand that when you set off on some journey, I mean, the victories on the road to that journey will 
inevitably alter what your what that you know inspiration was. And I don't think we can be slave to inspiration, right? I don't think we can be slave to that uh, what I'd call like you know that back of the neck feeling. I don't know if I mean it. I think it works for both kinds of of uh, ideation where you have the you know, directed research, problem solving, uh, or you have this idea where you've just kind of free formed and all of a sudden things have, you know, all the stars have aligned in your mind, so to speak, and you right. hit that idea. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get that, you know, that back of the neck tingling sensation where it's like, you know, holy shit, am I onto something here? Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, I love that feeling. Like, that's really good stuff. But, you know, I used to be a slave to that back of the neck feeling. And I was like, what gave me that initial sensation is what I felt I had to bring into the world. That becomes the hit. Yeah, exactly. Instead of being about producing, it is mm -hmm. about being inspired. And that is very tempting. You uh, you fall into, I don't think it's actually specifically dopamine, but you have, you ha feel like you have accomplished something by merely being inspired rather than being driven by that inspiration. Yeah. Um, that allows you to scheme. Uh, and... Again, that that feeling is very powerful, and it uh, it should be a driver, but it can accidentally become an end in itself, uh, yeah. which is a very tragic uh, daydreaming phenomenon that I assume a lot of people suffer from right. most of their lives because that is that requires no adversary, um, not in the same way that producing things do. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to, and you know, to call your audience adversaries is you know is a little harsh. But you don't, you're not responsible to anyone for what you dream up. Right. You get all of the pleasure and none of the pain. Yeah. Um, and again, as, uh, as per the mission statement of this website, pain is good. Yes. Pain is a positive thing. It's only in the absolute shortest term that pain is bad. As mm -hmm. long as that pain is being inflicted toward <laughs> the production <laughs> of something good, that pain always enhances the pleasure that comes afterward. Mm -hmm. Whether what you do succeeds or not, because that pain is what gives almost every story its meaning. Right. You don't get you don't get a good story without strife. And the fact that you have to suffer through the strike to get the story allows you to own it. Mm -hmm. And that is even more satisfying. Again, whether or not you come out with a product to the other side. If you come out with a product to the other side, awesome. Right. But you don't need to come out with one every time. You still get the experience. It's not like you lose everything. It's nice if you can post about it on a website when you fuck up and then you have more to go on. Right. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I was, I was going to say, you had mentioned something. Uh, you'd mentioned a little while ago when we were talking about building an idea from its foundations on other ideas mm -hmm. um, about planning and coming up with the perfect plan. I don't want to coin this quote, and I, I apologize for doing this all the time because I, I don't want to accidentally take credit for a quote I didn't come up with. But the best part about a plan is that you can change it. Yes. The idea that a plan needs to stay, sticking to the plan, is it can be used as a mantra only with an understanding that you're allowed to change what your priorities are and right. to restructure based on that. It's good to have a plan, but if you are building a plan with the understanding that it needs to be right, right. just stop. Just don't bother. Um, you, you need to reassess what you think a plan actually is. Yeah. A plan is based on what I know right now. This is what I want to have happen. Mm -hmm. And then God or the universe or whatever will come in the way and interfere with that. At which point new knowledge appears, 
and you get a new plan. Yes. And sometimes the world doesn't even have to fight against you. You may merely, <laughs> you may merely figure out that your plan is stupid. Yeah. And you're not stuck with it. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't even matter if you told someone else about your plan. You can change the plan. Yeah. As long as you give yourself a little bit of leeway, of course. But, you know, you, you need a little bit of lead time. But if you're not giving yourself lead time, you're already setting yourself up for failure anyway. So, so. Well, no, that's you, on you. And exactly. Like, people, I think, I think there's a kind of fetish. People fetishize inspiration, and both in the, in the search for it, but then in when they find it, that it is this kind of end-all, be-all um, you know, I don't, it seems like some, the way I hear some people talk about inspiration almost seems, you know, like semi-spiritual, which, you know, far be it for me to critique anyone's methods for finding inspiration. But I do think that once you Your have methods it, suck. Yeah, exactly. You get new methods if you, uh, yeah. if you go, you know, delve into the realm of the spiritual. Again, but we'll it, get back to serendipity. I want to bring okay, that good. back <laughs> up. But. Yeah, so that, but I do think that, you know, for me especially, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm kind of you know, vague booking myself here a little bit as well, is that, you know, I would, I tended to fetishize that inspiration a little bit too much, right? And not seeing that if I was going towards something or working towards something and found myself, in a, uh, you know, in front of the river, it was like, well, you know, you're looking at it and you're hiking around and then you're on your plan and then all of a sudden you've got your map and then you find yourself in front of a river. You're like, well, this isn't supposed to be here. Like, <laughs> you know, this, this river's wrong. My map's not wrong, right? Yeah. The river's wrong. And so I would, you know, I would just really have to kind of reassess and it was you know like disheartening in a very odd way uh, how that would affect me uh, in general and you know in looking for those moments of you know finding that small bitter disappointment you know those oftentimes very crucial moments in a plan or in the execution of something in the long term you know you have to kind of allow you know one bad day almost would ruin a whole you know series or or expectation of what I was working towards. And it so often does. Yeah, exactly. Because it was just, you know, now I kind of, you know, if I work on something, if I find myself ground out, you know, we talked about the methods we take to kind of work through those things. Yeah. You know, mental blocks and such. And those do not always work. No, exactly not. And it was, you know, one of those points, especially in the moment when I would come up, kind of run up against it, where I kind of had that, you know, all right, now I've got an actual plan, a system that I could apply to try to overcome these. But, you know, now, you know, bad day doesn't fucking throw off a plan for me. And I've you know, I've, I've become to, you know, understand that about myself. And it's been something that's been very useful to me overall as well. In that, you know, once again, directed research kind of format. Uh, but yeah, overall, though, I mean, when you're looking or you're finding yourself, uh, I just want to get this answer from you as well. I mean, do, do you tend to find yourself in most decisions looking for that problem solving directed research format? Or do you like it more in the free form you know, realm of, of uh, you know, almost not hate brainstorming, but in that more free, fro free form realm. I mean, where do you tr tend to find yourself most going towards when looking for something like that? This ebbs and flows. It depends on which schedule I'm using during the week. Gotcha. At the moment, I have those deliberately plotted out. I'm currently using Google Calendar. Um, I took my, uh, my three by two until seven. I kept the until seven part, sort of. I'm not actually abiding by it at all. But you know, hopefully I'll get back on track with that. I probably won't. Anyway, this is way too much of a digression. Um, I plot out my week with tasks and yep. schemes. Yep. A task is anything that I assume can be completed within the day mm -hmm. and that I know what the end result should be. Okay. I need to install a door. Right. I need to finish that stupid walk-up. I right. need to put this particular feature in a program. Yep. Those are all things that are problems yes. in the absolute just capital P sense where I know exactly what I need to do 
and all they need to do is provide solutions and act upon them, and they're done. Okay. Um, those should take a finite amount of time, and if they take too long, I can properly assess because I understand exactly what completing that goal will result in. Right. I can make a cost-benefit analysis on virtually anything I'm doing and say this is or is not worth further investigation. Okay. And I can then reroute my plan in the event that I hit a mental block and I can't come up with further ideas. The schemes, which I have at least one every day, mm -hmm. are designed to be long form. They're designed to be things that I don't expect to be done with during that day because I am either not producing anything or whatever I'm doing is going to take simply too long um, to produce. Zathras head falls into scheming. I may break this into three categories if I'm feeling ambitious later this week. I've got an idea for a new scheme, but for the moment, <laughs> today's... Today's scheme is a doorbell. I want to change, I want to modify the doorbell in this house because I don't like, for one thing, it's half broken anyway, but I play a lot of music in mm -hmm. either headphones or obnoxiously loud video games awesome. in the theater. Yep. And when those two things are happening, I have no idea if the doorbell rings. Right. And for that matter, I don't notice when people knock. So I need a method by which to know that someone is at the door. Gotcha. And basically today, I I think I know, I, I've already spent enough time thinking about this that I may, I, I think I have an idea for what I want to do there we go. to the doorbell system. But I'm not going to act on it today. Right. I'm going to put that in the task list for later this month. It's going to be added to a bucket that I then distribute over the week. Right. Um, but those are the two different forms of ideas. Mm -hmm. I can look at other people's stuff for inspiration in that particular form, but the problem I'm solving has enough avenues. It's not. It's too vague. It's mm -hmm. like the question, how do we make money in the stock market? Right. I'm saying, how do I develop the best doorbell system I can mm -hmm. with no intended exacting solution? Now, that solution may become create a light that is activated by the button. Right. And that will become a task because that's gotcha. the thing where I can literally, I can figure out what the parts are. Right. I can put together a plan, an actual plan. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe you can develop a plan for a task and not for the other. I'd have to think about that for a minute. But yeah. but the um, but in essence, that idea is open-ended because okay. it's possible that I will come up with a better I will come up with a uh, a better. There has to be a better word than method for this because okay. there's two there's two layers of what I'm solving. I'm not solving a problem. I'm, but it's still I'm I'm still coming up with a solution. I guess this needs to be three tiered. It's not merely inspiration and problem solving. I'd have to think about what the third one would be. But that's how I right. that's how I take care of it. When did uh, when did the idea take root that we needed a, that you needed a doorbell? When did that idea just because the doorbell sucks? Well, I know, but <laughs> that's not, but there was. I mean, was I've missed people being at the door. Okay, yeah. So if we was... want if we want a quantized version of it, yes. and then okay, so then all right, boom. So that, that 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 takes hold. But I, you know, I don't, you know, you've been in the house for a while now. I mean, it was it just something that you know? Now this is not necessarily the most pressing thing overall, but it was that okay. Well, now this is taking root. Now I'm thinking about it. Uh, now I I want to envision what it would be like. And so you have this kind of separate space mentally that you kind of plan for and prepare for where. All right, I'll allow myself to just think about what a doorbell is, what I expect from it, what the problems are, the, things like that. You, you have you, my point is you have time set apart from that, right? Yes, there's a bit of yeah. arbitrage to exactly. the prioritization. I'm not, I'm not, I'm deciding more than two weeks in advance what I'm going to think about 
every day. Right. I have a th- I, in my calendar. I have a thing for every day that I have nominated. I believe, or uh, yesterday, two days ago was a uh, second mural. Mm-hmm. It's when uh, Dylan was over. Who right. may be on a future podcast. Uh, we'll see, depending on how his schedule works out. Um, yesterday I was working on some other thing that I'm not going to bother to try to remember because that's dead air. And then today I'm working on the doorbell. Right. Um, I pick one thing and it's something I don't expect to make actual progress on. It's merely something for me. I allow myself to indulge in both sides of ideation. Gotcha. Because if you don't do that, you will find yourself straying into one category and never addressing the other. Yeah, I've gotten lost. You know, you definitely, I've find, you know, I've definitely found myself either, you know, becoming too obsessed with the more, you know, with the detail of, you know, the directed research or, you know, in this this nether world that you, you know, the grayness that you kind of seep into overall. And, you know, I've just, I mean, just, just from my own curiosity here as well, you know, if you do you find like other ideas or things off the off the day's schedule that kind of creep in, and do you Absolutely. have to like you have to like force them out, or you like put them into notes or something, and, and or you have like they an idea in, file? They go in the bucket. They go in the bucket. Okay, and yeah. then the bucket is allocated to days. Yeah, I force it into the vault. Now that doesn't always work. Arbitrage is broken in your mind. You okay. can't. You know, I ha- I can only follow the rules. In action, I can't follow them in thought. Okay, is the bucket like something manifest? Like you type it yes. into a file? Okay, yes, you yeah, it you is don't. Monday of the Google gotcha. Calendar okay. because Monday is my upkeep day. Yeah. It is the day I take care of figuring out what the rest of the week is going to look like. Because it's weird. Because like for me, like just to talk about the way that I think about these things, you know, I tend, I, I have a pretty good mental acuity in what uh, I need to talk about or things that I'm planning or things that I'm working on, and I tend to have a good visual memory for myself. That so, for example, like uh, you know, when I lecture. Uh, apart from, you know, repetition and, you know, familiarity, you know, I have in my mind exactly a kind of almost visual representation of what I want to talk about. When I was constructing my master's thesis, it was very much the same way, right? The rapidity and familiarity, you know, uh, allowed it to kind of solidify. But the interesting thing is, is that once I had that in my mind, it became easy for it to expand. And And in my own mind, you know, I, I believe, okay, believe it or not, actually I have pages that I, I write notes and David teases me for having old man media symptoms, but like, I even have these in my mind. I have like flip books in my mind where I have like page, page, page of like notes or things that I'm thinking of uh, in there as well. And once I kind of, through the rapidity and familiarity, get the, get the notebook, so to speak, like getting, adding things to a larger whole becomes very, very, very easy to me in my, in my mind. And that's the weird thing is that when I, do the same thing. I try to have these kind of freeform areas or uh, try to allow myself to kind of escape from the, you know, grindstone that I'd be, that I'd be working on. Right. But then, you know, when, when those new ideas come in, you know, I do the same thing. I kind of just shuffle them off into these little areas. And I've just, you know, once again, in the last 10, 15 years of my life, I've been able to understand that like, oh, I can shelve, shelve these away and almost like delay inspiration to a weird extent, right? It's like I can kind of re- you know, dredge up that idea that I had, you know, when I'm you, thinking about you pull that. Out the, you pull out the mental version of... Yeah, yeah. and it like, it, it comes like a new thought almost in that moment. Like something appears like a good idea and then it's like, wow, that's 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 hot, right? That's that's something I'd want to work on. So you bucket it or, you know, in my case, I, you know, I, I kind of shelve it and then, you know, day two, three later, I, you know, we, I can, I'm able to recall and you are as well, right? Um, yes. To a my, certain extent. I mean, my, not like my perfectly recall, or whatever. My recall is quirky. Yeah. Um, I don't because I don't have I don't have a lexical or I think the closest thing I have to the recall castle that you're referring to yeah. to use I think the new Sherlock Holmes buys into this idea very heavily I I want to oh, say the memory that. palace idea yeah thing? That, yeah exactly that idea yeah. 
Um, my version of that is probably audiological. Excellent. Uh, it's yeah. why I like listening to books and that kind of thing. Um, but I can't be completely certain. I do have a problem, and again, this is memory, which I will tease every episode until we actually do an episode on it. Um, my memory tends to be extremely hazy because I have a strong distrust of my memory. Right. A lot of people have flashbulb memories where yep. they have specific events that they remember really, really strongly, and they have all the details vividly plotted out. And psychology has long since disproven the notion that those those memories are actually any better preserved than any of the other ones. They're just more salient. Yep. Um, I don't feel like I have any of those mm -hmm. because my mental sweeping when I'm thinking about particular ideas, right. if I cannot, if I do not have what feels like primary source concretion of the ideas I'm thinking about, mm -hmm. my mind discards that as if it was not mine at all. Right. Um, this is why I have just graveyards of, ex you know, my, my version of Ryan's, uh, docket gold yeah. <laughs> writing pads are Excel worksheets. Right. I have graveyards, like plural graveyards yeah. of everything that I've ever schemed on. Cause I like collecting data and yeah, I absolutely. like, I like creating, I, uh, processes and I like doing, you know, all this thing, but I just, I have hundreds yes. of worksheets that I have over the years, I haven't like kept and alienated. I will, I will reflexively, if I cannot, if something does not look like it's mine, if I don't see it as my own child, right. I will just reflexively delete it. Right. I don't hold on to any of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is very bad. And I've tried to deliberately not do that. Um, but I find myself, I, I still find myself doing that. Like I have all of my, I have all of my finance related stuff, anything related to money I have in a worksheet called capitalism. And the way mm -hmm. that I've tried to yeah. solve this problem <laughs> is that instead of having separate worksheets that I feel like I can just delete, I've put everything related to finance into one workbook right. with different worksheets because right. as part of a gestalt, yeah. I figured it would keep me from deleting individual worksheets there if they we were go. all there because it makes it look like this opus yes. and I don't want to get, but it has not worked. Okay. I will reflexively, and I literally, I catch myself doing it where I will look at the name of a worksheet and I'll see wattage mm -hmm. and not know what I meant. Right. And I won't even open the worksheet. I will just delete it. Oh man. Oh man. That's great. <laughs> That's good stuff. Okay. So is that, is that, an, is that instinct to, I mean, is that an, is that an inspiration and that instinct? I mean, is there like a kind of. I mean, um, that, I think that's it's, not I think it's fastidious housekeeping. Well, it's like, look, is it like creative destruction where you're like, look, if, if, if I'd have remembered it, if it had been this useful, I'd have fucking remembered. That's it's, I, I don't hold on to things. Yeah, no doubt. Nothing, yeah. nothing in this house is more than three years old. Right. If I don't have an emergent, constant, optimized version of the function, I'm just going to start this sentence over. I put way too many <laughs> modifiers in that. Something has to prove its use case continuously to me right? for me to hold on to it. And otherwise, I, my, my brain just lets go of it completely. Yes. Um, I don't consider this to be a positive character trait most of the time. Right. There are a lot of things I should hold on to that I don't. Um, but compounded by the fact that I just have a bad memory, mm -hmm. I... I have to work with what I have yeah. and the best way to make sure that my memory does not hurt me 
is to work with exactly what is in front of me gotcha. and whatever I can hold on to in the periphery and to merely speed up the process by which I either recall or make up lost ground, uh, which I do regularly. That's the nice thing about being in a situation where I have a relatively stable laboratory to work on things is that I can, even if I remember nothing about making Zathra's head, mm -hmm. even if I have no, I, I, and I did this again, yeah. I had a folder full of tutorial videos on how to put that stuff that I had deleted at some point in the last month, or not in the last month, in the last two months, I'm extremely good at finding all that stuff again. There you go. Okay, am, yeah. I've gotten very good at picking there's, all the tools yeah, there's, back up after discarding. Yeah, yeah, there's the link that I think is between these two things as well, which is that you have a... You, that's a confident move to delete something like that, right? Because, okay, uh, David. But it's computer, so wasteful. Yeah, no, but computer memory is cheap. I mean, there's just, there's just, I mean, it's not humorous. It, well, it is a little humorous, but it, it's, it's, it's that platform that you work on, right? You're very, uh, being very technological, uh, not technological, having that bionic arm you have. Uh, no, the, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right, uh, relying on technology as the as, a, as your preferred platform for you know cultivating uh, your knowledge and experience overall. Uh, you know, I do the same thing. You know, with my you know loose leaf sheets of paper too, where I except mine aren't necessarily perhaps. Are, so, do you stage out this kind of culling, so to speak, this intellectual culling? Is it like you know staged out where you might delete something new or or delete things throughout the course of a month or a week or whatever? No. No. Okay. Because I tend to go through. Here's how I tend to delete things. Because I do the same thing. It just happens spontaneously. Oh, really? Okay. No, I tend. <laughs> mine tend to be these like little like you know these like really deep brooding periods, right? And so I'll have this like let's I'll have a fucking take stock day where you know it usually happens after you know usually something's been accomplished where I will in the emotional release of the moment you know create piles of unnecessary potential and, you know, vital. And then it just kind of, you know, things are go into the piles as I go through them. And then I go through the piles the last time. And then I usually end up throwing more shit away at the end of that as well. And then uh, it also is kind of, and has this like mental, you know, hangover effect that kind of follows me through that as well. And, you know, because it's such a, you know, just this firestorm of, you know, dumping and, you know, this, this exiting of the body that I tend to feel, and I don't know if this is a podcast as well, but, you know, the creative process for me is an emptying experience. You know, I, I feel that I fill myself up with a lot of, th a lot of, uh, ideas and material and, uh, you know, uh, things that I am working to construct, whatever I'm working on. And then you shit it out. And then it just fucking splews out of me in a very messy, difficult process that sometimes has resulted in something very interesting and useful and beautiful to my mind. And, but that is a difficult process to, to go for because I find that it is both draining mentally and physically in a difficult way. And, you know, for me, you know, when I'm looking for that kind of inspiration, I tend to think of that as almost having it occur in that moment where inspiration is not really this idea of like, oh, I'm inspired to now build and create something. But no, now I've also been inspired to reject, to trim, to cull the uselessness or what I don't find you know, you, uh, per pertinent to what I want to move on to in the future. I think both are sides of inspiration. I mean, my my version of what I of what you're doing is so aggressive in its day to day processes that I find that calling unnecessary. Yeah, you're sound a little ruthless with it. Oh, I'm extremely. And again, I don't think I should be, but I just I reflexively am. And I was I was in the middle of doing uh, when I was cutting when I was cutting the foam. The electric knife that I bought 
because you can buy electric turkey knives that are supposed to be okay at cutting foam. Mm-hmm. And I, f- it had been doing an okay job. And then I found out that the Japanese make very nice utility knives. Yes. And I got one of those and found it to be significantly favorable. So I put the electric knife away. And then one day I opened it. Uh, my, my dresser has little whiteboard sheets that tell me exactly what's in every, uh, every particular every particular drawer, and I smudged the part that said electric knife on the one, mm-hmm. and instead of rewriting electric knife, my first thought and nearly uh, action was to just throw the knife away. <laughs> oh, that's, that's... That's that's how aggressive this that's, is. That's, yeah, man, that's... Uh, I mean, there's there's a two-drawer, uh, there's, there's a two-drawer file cabinet right. in this room that's about two and a half feet tall. It contains all the documents I... I still have. Yes, excellent. That's that is all the paper I've seen fit to hold on to. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I oh, hang on, a little dead air here. You got you, you want to go for something? Yeah, go for it. No. Okay. Dead air. I thought I had <laughs> turned off the recording, but I was wrong. Yeah, no. So instead of figuring out how to connect. Thoughts. I figured I would do this instead. Oh, buddy. Ryan brought his ex's dog over. His name is Max. Another 15, 20 seconds of minutes. Back to the show. Yeah, I wanted to, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about also, and I think that this might kind of link into another idea, so feel free to, uh, you know, to discount or to, you know, use your veto, I guess. Um, I wanted to talk about that moment of inspiration and in particular uh, how it occurs visually. And I've kind of wanted to talk about two different uh, ideas or two different aspects in general about this, because uh, I've just been obsessed since we've been talking about, you know, the mental process of inspiration and how we cultivate it, how we you know, perhaps even organize it as well. Right. The idea has been, uh, I'll just put them both out there and I'll let, tell you what, I'll let you go for it as, uh, go for the each topic. Um, I mean, how in, in general do you, do you, uh, do you think through this? For, so for example, do you have this more of a visual, uh, uh, visual you know, cognitive or, I, don't know, I hate, I'm not going to use that word like I know what it means. <laughs> do you like, do you think very visually? Do you think, uh, you mentioned the uh, auditory, do you have the internal dialogue? Is that, an, is that a powerful thing for you? It is for me. I tend to talk to myself or have yep. conversations. Absolutely. Okay. And then um, the next thing would be that, do you have any kind of like um, mental visualizations? Because I, I have a good, usually when I'm problem solving or thinking things through, um, you know, that, that internal dialogue is pretty strong. But a lot of times as well, it's really supplemented by and large by that visual representation that we talked about earlier. Do you tend to have that more, uh, you know, focused drive on, uh, you know, engaging with yourself almost, you know, 
conversations with yourself as you're you know, lurking, looking or searching for that inspiration? I'm almost certain it's completely internal dialogue. It's an issue of subjective cognitive experience. I'll use the word if you're not going to. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an, it's a constant issue of subjective cognitive experience, trying to describe those kinds of things. Because if that's not the way that I think, right. you saying whether or not I am a visual learner, it may just be in the, uh, oh, who the hell... In the same way that I forget which philosopher talked about seeing every color a different way, although honestly I think that's possibly the less interesting thing, it's almost scarier to believe that everyone sees everything the exact same way and <laughs> yeah. and that they still arrive at the same conclusions they do, liking yes. the same, liking different foods, seeing, uh, preferring different colors and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't, I seriously doubt I'm a visual learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to, it, but there's there's something that congeals in my head. It's just, I don't know, it, it doesn't appear to be visual to me. It's literally, to some extent, it's just correspondence between things. I just feel, I feel like specific connections between ideas that just sort of coalesce into the idea. And then okay. I talk about them. Gotcha, okay. It's yeah. why I like journaling. It's why I like Excellent. jotting yeah. those kinds of thoughts down. And that's where I get a lot of my work done, even outside of just raw inspiration walking around and having an idea. Usually that idea is extremely ill-formed. It is fetal at best right. until I write it down, at which point I can either see the genius or idiocy of it. Yes. <laughs> Complicated process that, to be sure. Because it, it I don't know about well. that. I actually, I find the process of determining that to be not very hard. Because if you write down the one sentence, this is, you know, if you need advice on how to do the stock market, it would either be A, get out, B, do an S&P 500 index fund, or C, if you're going to be adventurous, all you need to do to stop 95% of your stupid ideas Mm -hmm. is to write down the reason you are doing them. Yes. And you can tell if they're stupid. All you have to do is read the sentence again, Mm -hmm. and you will suddenly realize that this is not, this is an ill-founded proposition. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because it'd be you know good to get some some feedback on that as well. Because, you know, in social science and political science in particular, there used to be this comeback that we'd be talking with uh, certain professors with. And it was usually when they had, you know, wandered, when the conversation in class had, like, wandered out of the expertise of the professor. Right. So this is their, like, classic canned comeback line, which is that, all right, you might be thinking you're having a new idea, but it's probably that you haven't just read enough to realize it's not new. And, like, for me, that was, like, a very difficult thing, you know, like, that's just shit answer, professor. Like, I just admit you don't know something, right? But, like, (laughs) but I understand the tendency to want to say that because I have kind of seen, you know, for myself, if if I'm analyzing things that I study for international politics, which is, like, course of diplomacy or, or, you know, and things of that nature, you know, ideas or ways that I think about or try to organize these uh, into, into more formal models, you know, you do find that, you know, these quote unquote original ideas, and I'm not a saying that, you know, original ideas are the best ideas. I mean, uh, you know, wearing a gravy boat as a codpiece is an original idea. It might not be the best fucking idea in the world, but it sure as hell might be original to some extent. But once again, uh, now that I think about it, someone's had to have tried that before. But regardless of which, the, uh, the thing has to not necessarily be known for its originality, but in the context in which it's forged in the application to specific problems. And in that sense, you talked about referencing certain ideas of moving, uh, uh, of having these, uh, uh, not necessarily something new that inspires you, but perhaps a, a, a new application of a process or an idea that you have, in which case you do need that reference, right? So right. writing the thing down is that kind of first reference, right? Referencing yourself. 
But then afterwards, I think that for me, at least, especially in the, a lot of the problems that I'm looking for, you know, to kind of check my inspiration, if we are, is to kind of say, OK, well, you know, where does this fit into the larger dynamics of what I'm trying to put into the world? Right. Where does this fit into the expertise? Right. Am I simply extending the plateau or finding something new to add on to that as well? Right. To raise it up a little bit. Are you satisfied with not having it raise the plateau of others? Well, in that sense, too, there's that, you know, the, the connection you have within, you know, a field or the connection you have into the larger, you know, stream of knowledge that you're putting forward. You know, I think that's really all we can almost hope to. I mean, it'd be really inspired overall to have a, you know, absolute, not unique contribution because it all comes from and leads to or builds on top of something as well. Yeah, I mean, it's you, all derivative and yeah, synthetic. To a certain extent. But yet, you know, once again, I think some people just, you know, have that angle of, uh, a new way of combining ideas or a new way of looking at things that, you know, opens up and, or asks more questions. Because that's the weird thing with inspiration or the idea that you've contributed somehow to new knowledge is that you really don't necessarily answer any more fucking questions with it. You merely pose different questions that imply a need for new solutions. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the kind of strange thing that I've noticed overall is that, you know, these people that we kind of put forward, especially in terms of art, right, they've raised the bar and shown us new ways of expression, but it sure as hell didn't help us fully see art better, even in a past context. No, absolutely not. And I wanted to talk about that as the idea of destruction also being derivative. Yes. Um, I was thinking a lot about this talk, the uh, the definition of music as it has been attacked over the last, the last hundred or so years. Mm -hmm. um, the Age of Anxiety bred a hell of a lot of uh, resistance to the Romantic movement when uh, music was considered to essentially have hit its apex and we were done. You know, Beethoven yeah. figured out how to write a good symphony, and yeah. <laughs> we were we were largely we were largely okay with that. I want to specifically focus on John Cage, who is one of the most inflammatory characters in mm -hmm. this group, and almost everyone that this podcast is going out to is probably familiar right. with Four Minutes and Thirty Three Seconds, yeah. which is a song with no notes in it, played yes. on piano, except all you have to do is sit there and listen to the audience. Now, that work is, I would classify that as a destructive idea because it all, what he has done is he has taken the definition of music that we normally have, which is essentially, uh, the definition of music, you can argue about exactly what it is for a long time, but I would say it's basically designated sound. Yes. You have some some array of sounds that are designed to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And now you may be tempted to rebel against that definition. And that's exactly what John Cage has done. The problem is that you are not helping anyone by doing this. Yes. All you are doing is muddling the water. Uh, the fact that John Cage calls four minutes and 33 seconds a song mm -hmm. is a thoroughly derivative act. He is trying to be provocative by seeing if we can call this a song and the only reason we have to call four minutes and 33 seconds a song is because he says it's a song right yeah it's the same there's a great quote and god damn it i just need to write down all these quotes so i have the names <laughs> of the people who wrote them poems are what poets write right poems have been in this field because poems are designed to deliberately be experimental with rhetoric they've always had this problem of being completely undefinable right but for the most part you can identify what a poem is yeah it's it's a set it's it's more rhetoric than prose like you can you can there are thresholds sure. certainly and it's interesting to push the boundaries on them but 
I find it hard to not believe that that is derivative yes. in a sense. And I mean derivative here derogatorily in a way that I actually don't mean it most of the time because right. derivation is how you end up with new things. You yes. take a new idea, you adapt it into a new thing, or you take an old idea and you adapt it into a new thing. To just push the boundaries for no reason mm -hmm. doesn't – it's an idea. Right. But to call it novel, I think is – I think that's cheating. Right. I think that's not fair. Well, and two, especially because there's two different ways to kind of approach this as well, right? You look at the realm of art and, you know, poetry as well falls into the idea of, you know, rhetoric with convention, right? Rhetoric with established conventions of how the form that that rhetoric will take, not necessarily the subject matter, although that's how we tend to define like, you know, epochs or, or whatever of, yeah. you know, certain kinds of art. But the problem then too is that when you look at something perhaps in a more applied fo fashion, such as science, you know, Finding an original way to get to the moon is not the goal of good, you know, astrophysics. <laughs> I mean, that's not the point of this thing, right? There, there is an but idea. But what is landing on the moon, Ryan? Yeah, what is that? Thank uh, John Kip, uh, four, 433,000 miles, I guess, or something. Yeah. That's not exactly the length of it. But regardless of which, we could really had this, like, beautiful conception of how to get to the moon. But that's, once again, that's not the overall point. And it's not just... It's not just trivial to say that, that that isn't or might not be a worthy goal, but it really takes a broad understanding of, you know, what, how and what we, why we didn't get to the moon, why we didn't use the process to get to the moon in the first place. I mean, you've got to understand both what happened and why something else didn't happen the way it did. And to a certain extent in art or even in science, you know, looking at and finding your realm within this, I mean, you really can't fully expect to find a certain amount of inspiration without that kind of familiarity overall. And, you know, in this case, if we're talking about personal inspiration, I mean, it sure as hell helps to have that familiarity with yourself. And that's why I was kind of wanting to just, you know, go into a little bit of like, you know, how we think about things, uh, discussing that I enjoy talking about these, I enjoy reading about issues of, or, or you know, pieces of, or, or works where people talk about, you know, how they think about things, the way that we think about the world. And I think that's important too, because if we're going to look at where sources are, uh, uh, where are where are our sources for inspiration and for and how we find them? You know, we need to know both sides of the coin, right? We need to know a the overall idea and and you know both sides of the directed research and inspiration we're looking for. But then also, I think we have to have a little bit of self knowledge to understand you know how best we can be putting ourselves in the position to find that inspiration. And I think that's a continual struggle, and that's what I've been you know dealing with the last 10, 15 years of my own you know more mature uh, understanding of who I am and what I'm looking for. So and the, uh, and who, if we confine the question to who, because generally when you're finding source material in the modern world, it has it has stopped coming from nature other than in particularly inspired environments. Who do you turn to for that form of ideation? Who do you derive from? And there's a strong temptation um, to only look at experts yes. for that purpose if your notion of expertise is some form of deferral to authority right um which i think is highly ill-advised mm -hmm. i think a lot i think it's almost easier to become inspired not to bring this specifically in inspiration but even ideas can come from those who not only fail but are failures to put it harshly right people who are not doing things correctly are still a very powerful source of ideas yes. you don't have to rely on people who have got it right in some sense and to some degree those people hold you back because by being who they are 
more specifically that you are not them yes it is very hard to transpose the magic of what made their ideas work into your own stuff uh this there's a very strong expensive example of this in the attempt of gm to combine with toyota there was a uh, there was a political there was a political snafu that needed to be resolved on Toyota's end where they needed to manufacture, in quote, more of their cars in America to right. get past specific tariffs. So GM agreed to open the Numi plant yeah. in, uh, I forget which city in California. And long story short, Toyota builds good cars not because of their philosophy, and their philosophy is not explicitly procedural. Yes. So... The GM managers could write down whatever they wanted to about the way that Toyota puts their cars together, but that's not the secret sauce. That's not why their cars are the most reliable ones in the world. That plant, despite GM being heavily invested in stop being, they were trying not to be the laughing stock of the world when it comes to reliability. Right. And they have improved, but they did not get even close to their goal. That plant has since been shuttered and reopened by Tesla, of all people. Um, that's where they're now making the well, Tesla. Praise be to Elon Musk. Yeah. The fecundity of capitalism reigns yes. in Silicon Valley to this day. Um, but you just, you, you have to know where the ideas come from in order to capitalize on the most ingenious of them. Um, another beautiful example of this is Advance Wars, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, some of you may know, is a game that came out on the Game Boy Advance and on the, uh, the Nintendo DS and it's a it's a relatively straightforward turn-based strategy game that feels like it could be improved in many many ways because a lot of its systems are incredibly simplistic in their design and you could add shades of gray. in fact they do this in a later version of the game they attempt to tweak it so that it has not necessarily more realistic feel but it feels slightly more organic mm-hmm. and it destroys the experience mm-hmm. because it turns out that that elegance is exactly why that idea works. Right. And without having done whatever testing the magicians at Intelligent Systems did when they put that game together, you would never know that. Right. Um, so just be very careful being inspired by derivations of people's ideas when it looks like they are masters in their field. Because right. it turns out you can't just copy and maybe that's what steve jobs meant by the copy steal dichotomy yeah that's hard to say um and i wouldn't want to put words in that man's mouth because that's just really dangerous yes uh so enough said about that so for you know for politics like we have especially in political (laughs) political science air quotes intended um you know we obviously have the realm where you know you can kind of start from a the specific part of political science you're looking in b the wider realm of political science and then see the larger realm of social sciences, and then you can kind of even go further beyond that, right? And social science is such a broad thing, right? It incorporates uh, history, uh, uh, economics, uh, psychology, at least in some departments. And uh, so, you know, you can kind of, you know, look for within this. And part of the reason I love love politics is that it is so broad in its scope, right? It can focus on a single individual, if uh, be it a voter, right, or, you know, a refugee, or a leader of uh, of a of a state or a leader in in government, or then pan out to the larger ways from groups to political parties to societies to the globe to all of us. It's all in the game, man. It is, man, and that you know that is the ultimate game that there is out there to be looked at and and solved. And uh, overall, as you try to 
you know, approach this and look at it, right? What I find or I have looked at as a problem, for example, the Cold War, you know, I've kind of broadly, you know, sketched out exactly what I wanted to accomplish within this. And I really felt that I had to almost, you know, once again, narrow down the scope of what I was trying to focus on because, you know, in that search for experts and that search for confirmation about what I was doing was right and true and that I would find it out there in experts, uh, you had to kind of, once again, narrow down your approach and to try to understand this, that, okay, you know, this broad inspiration that I had, right, I'm going to start skipping over and uh, and kind of going around these little problems that I'd kind of set up for myself. And then I said, no, 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 right, you got to go back. You've got to deal with each one of these in particular and see, you know, how I'm going to understand the purpose of this and how it's going to be realized in its execution. And in that sense, you know, inspiration can, can become that hindrance overall where, you know, especially if you don't have that grounding overall, and especially if you're finding or looking at, at experts in the field, right, they can almost direct you more than your inspiration to a certain extent. You think you can be realizing your inspiration because you're finding that confirmation somewhere else. And in that sense, you kind of talked about before about this knowing of this limit, right? Where do you stop? When do you stop? Right? And I think that has two different components, right? When do you stop because you've succeeded? But when do you stop because it might be hopeless? And right. I don't know exactly where to do that. And all I'm tr maybe suggesting is, is that one way you can maybe look to, for confirmation and you might be, you know, frightened or excited by this in one way or another is that if you find that you're, what you're thinking or the ideas you're on, you're finding perhaps semi-periphery confirmation with experts. Well, what if you do that and you're perhaps not finding any confirmation with experts at all? I mean, should you, I mean, is that a well to say, well, maybe I should quit because it's, you know, I'm on the right track or, you know, maybe I should trip, because, uh, maybe I should continue on because I might be onto something here right. a little bit beyond it. And I don't know, you know, I mean... Knowing when to quit is a kind of difficult topic in general. And I think that's an excellent one for a future podcast. But, you know, just moving forward with that idea, I think uh, the realm of expertise kind of fits into that in that sense. Experts are dangerous. No There's doubt. There's no, no doubt, doubt about that. So one final thing I wanted to bring up because I, um, I want to roll and I feel good. Are you feeling good? Sure. All right, feeling good. Uh, when you have inspiration, I've, um, you know, my girlfriend kind of mentioned that there is really two different ways and, and our minds kind of work in opposite ways here. Oftentimes, yours and hers yeah, or yours and mine? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I've talked more with her about it. So mine and hers to a specific degree here. Okay. Right, when I, I tend to find that I, I tend to find that when I look at or have an idea of inspiration, what I have done is, is quickly seen the exterior or the, the, what I consider to be the whole picture. And then I really focus in on what I quickly with it using inspiration, I think, find as to be the kind of core or crux of whatever I'm looking at, right? What is the essence or element of what I'm looking at here? Right. And uh, she tends to, when she sees something or might even be inspired or sees a problem, she has this real macro approach where, you know, she is going through and contesting and looking through and validating each of these, you know, possible uh, elements that are going through it and then you know once again boils it down to its essence overall where mine is much more of a of a flash boil you know I think overall some people have this like slower boil approach but still the end is the same where I focus maybe on perhaps the most pertinent element or detail and other people tend to see the whole overall and then work downwards from there and I would once again look at the detail and then work upwards do you find yourself falling into one of those kinds of patterns, or is it different for the problem, uh, each problem you would solve? It's not actually induction and deduction, but those are the two words I'm going to go with until I figure out which ones are correct. Um, I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Let's just take an example. Um, if I, maybe if I could. 
what was it or how did you visualize like the Zaythra suit? Like, yeah, that's I'm I'm trying to think okay, of yeah, how I that... even did. Um, yeah, so without looking back through journal references into how this thing got made, which was arduous. I mean, it took it took a hell of a lot of yeah, doing, no, it and it probably and it's probably too messy to really fall into one camp or the other. Um, I tried to build a roadmap for the entire thing, right? And then I refine that roadmap over time. I go through, and maybe you know this is part of the destructive fashion of the way that my creativity works. Um, I guess maybe I am a whole picture guy to some extent because I will put together, I will attempt to put together a prototype. And then I will put together another prototype from what I've learned. And then I will put together another. I don't necessarily specialize. I try to get the entire thing mm-hmm. every time. So I guess it, to that extent, I am a whole picture guy. I've tried not to do that occasionally because for particularly daunting tasks, essentially anything that takes more than two or three days, you don't want to do that because looking at the whole structure is so intimidating. It keeps you from working on it correctly. Right. So you try to break the tasks down. And I'm not saying that I put that entire suit together in one, you know, in, attempted to put it together in one shot. I worked on the feet and the head and all that stuff in separate elements. Yeah. Um, but within whatever I decide to tackle, if I break down the tasks... Mm-hmm. I am breaking them down. I'm not necessarily breaking them down for depth. I'm breaking them down for breadth so yeah. that every task can fit together with the absolute smallest amount of effort. Um, right. So, for example, with the head that I'm making right now, I am making I, – I put together the balaclava and I sewed on – or I uh, glued together the foam and sculpted it and I'm furring it. And that's going to be the first prototype. Right. And then I'm I'm not going to perfect furring the head. I'm not going to perfect sculpting the foam. I'm just going to do it over and over again right. until I get a result that I like. But was there just that one? I mean, was it like in like you you was it like colors that you saw? Was it the design of the of the of the of the, I wouldn't of the cons- suit itself? I mean, was it I just like a that detail I'd... that came out and, and shot at you and said this 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 can happen this way? No, Even I, if it changed. That's after that's that? that's what's strange is I don't know that that's. That's that goes back to me not being visual. Right on. Yeah. I don't I don't see it that way. I okay, think that's yeah. why I need the entire presentation right. there because I need to see what it looks like in its final form. I can't. I, I absolutely do not have the artist's eye. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I, no. I cannot visualize what something's going to look like before it's done unless yes. I have an intricate drawing which I'm incapable of providing. Right. Um, I don't know what colors Z2 is going to be. I am experimenting with one set of them, which is making them look enough like an American flag that I'm going to have to modify some of it. <laughs> but there's, it, um, or maybe I won't. Maybe that's okay. Worth no, going just, for. okay. I want to. I want to interrupt you here. Have you? I I've had this happen to me too, and I'm sure other people out there have had it happen where you have been like a little insular in creating something, and then someone comes in and they point to it and they're like, "Oh, that looks like X." Yeah, and you're like. Holy shit! It does look like X. Because I, mean, I, I made an in, inadvertently racist pumpkin last Halloween. That was completely not what I intended it to be. <laughs> until someone came by and said, "That looks like a Ku Klux Klan member," and I was, you know, actually drawing an absurdist piece of theater from the late 1890s. But once again, as soon as someone came around and said that, it was like what had, you know, that that little bubble of inspiration, right? I had so fixated on that core single idea of what I wanted to construct that it that in no way did I see 
anything that would have compounded or 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 taken a different perspective on it as well. And that myop, you know, that myopic view that I tended to have also, you know, I've kind of found myself, you know, falling into that trap routinely over time as well. So my inadvertently racist pumpkin was absolutely a feature of that as well, in which case it wasn't the overall pointy hat that the character wore, but I had focused on the, you know, design that is on the belly of this, uh, of this little, um, of this drawing that I had represent, represented on it as well. And that was, so I hate those moments, and I hate to interrupt you, but as you were continually working on the colors of oh, it... Oh, that's absolutely yeah, ex- a thing that happens, Oh, though. God, I that is terrifying to inspiration and, when that happens. And it, Well, and even if it isn't necessarily quite that bad, it's when you are drilling down on the details and come back up and say... I've been working on the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> like this is just this is completely misguided. Yeah, no one to stop. And yeah. I do avoid that. I do manage to avoid that by right. on, by emphasizing breadth over depth. Yes, exactly. I add depth over time as I understand because I need the association again. That to some degree that goes back to the associative model mm-hmm. that I seem to have in my head right. is that the stronger the connections are between all the different elements, the more intelligently I can assemble them. Right. Um, I'm a ma- I'm a big fan of prototyping. Yes, and that's largely why because a prototype allows you to see the interaction of everything mm. without accidentally overemphasizing any particular part until you know that that part needs the TLC. Right on. So I just, for my own experience, though, like I want to talk about maybe just the the genesis of the last you know about ten years or so of my life studying <laughs> politics. What got me into politics was uh, initially the inspiration that was there. Uh, I had spent about the next, the, the previous 18 months or so studying chess very, very heavily. And for people who study chess, I, I'm sure they've had this moment, you know, if you spend four to, you know, four hours plus a day, like looking at chess boards, solving chess problems, you know, reviewing chess games, you have these bizarre moments where it invades normal life. Like if I'll be, I was like, you know, I'd be, I'd be at like at the bank and I'd look at the floor and then all of a sudden I'd seen, I, you know, I'd see like a Nimzovich game or something like that, like unfold in front of me and it would just be so evocative and it would just be the odd shapes of, you know, the representations of the tile, right? My brain would kind of impose these things as well. And for me, you know, when I do have those really large inspirations, it's so strange because I was very heavily into chess. You know, I'm thinking about this, this larger idea of, you know, onboard strategy. Kasparov in his book on, on, on Bobby Fischer has this really brilliant analysis of like off the board chess that he plays, right? You know, Fischer beats Spassky in 72, not because he, you know, in, to a certain extent, he had a very, very good game plan on the board, but he argues that all of a lot of his eccentricities was to a certain extent, part of an off the board strategy to kind of psych him out to a certain extent. And this you know, oh, okay, I thought you were going to turn this into a Karate Kid metaphor where he was, <laughs> yeah, that, where he was learning how to play chess by scrubbing cars. And, oh, yeah, no. Okay. But the idea was was that, you know, he using, you know, having this real, you know, uh, the, the, the eccentricities of his personalities and imposing that on Spassky, you know, really in a sense right, prime the battlefield, so to speak, right? The, the, the battle happened in a very specific location, but the field of play was determined by Fisher. And this affected his, you know, uh, Spassky's ability to actually perform on the court or on the, on the board, so to speak. And, you know, as I'm kind of, you know, reconciling these two ideas of, you know, very, very heavy into chess theory and opening theory and, and you know, the history of chess, and then I have this notion of off the board or, or uh, off the board strategy, you know, I pick up uh, a book by Henry Kissinger and I start reading it and all of a sudden I'm just struck and these immense connections between ideas of strategy, ideas of games, ideas of rule making, rule setting, all just like linked up in my mind. And to a certain extent, this is where I'm trying to head with head with this, is that I had this real, you know, macro 
conception of what I was inspired by and have since been just picking up individual crux or pieces of, of inspiration from that as well. And so in a sense, you know, why we do what we do, right, David, why we focus on what we focus on and what determines where our inspiration comes from. Have you had that kind of, you know, holy shit moment where, you know, like for me, it's, this has been a 10 year obsession with politics <laughs> from that moment and all of that little inspiration that I'm looking on, right? Whether it's, you know, moments of, you know, uh, unstructured thinking or problem solving have all been in the realm of this larger, you know, galaxy that was birthed in this big bang of inspiration. And I mean, has there been those moments for you, David? I mean, I did see a white wolf fursuiter at a convention one time and it uh, nearly killed me. Right. I mean, it's why I'm here and it's why all these pictures are on the wall. Yeah. But um, I mean, I guess that would be the one epiphanic moment I yes. can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I probably have other ones. I mean, my I feel like my entire world changes about every three years that's that's about how long i get nice. to okay. settle into any particular mode which means that the furry one is if it's not necessarily ending i don't think it's going to end just because as part of the process you know i i, I saw a suitor it occurred to me that that's what i've been missing in my life this yeah. whole time and i spent the next nine days losing 10 pounds in business hotel rooms yeah it is incredible what you can get away with um, when people shake your hand and they ask how you're doing. It's yeah. incredible how easy it is to lie yes. about losing your mind. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially what I was doing. And I was ba I was just going back through my mind and going, oh, well, this that makes sense. And this makes sense. And this makes sense. Like, you just you go back through your entire life and suddenly all of it, like, fits together. Oh, interesting. That's okay, basically yeah. the moment. Right. Um, it was a long, long moment. Yes. But, uh, and it could absolutely be the topic of another podcast, which will require other guests. I have a couple I could name. But. Yeah. We'll see. Um, off the, off, yeah, off record. Yeah. Off record. But, going, but going just specifically for those kinds of moments, those epiphanies, the Eurekas, um, I would say I don't get all that many of them of that nature. Oh, yeah. They're rare. Yeah. I know. And it was the same thing with me, right? It was, I think that that's very telling. I think the, uh, the idea that it was both, you know, acceptable in a weird sense to where you, you know, the, to where the macro inspiration that happened and it forced this kind of, you know, reflective mindset that happened and suddenly, you know, things in the past kind of make sense in a way that now that's, moving forward, that's the thing that yeah, makes them work. And that's what's strange. Cause that is that, that you know, everything I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I've played maybe like two dozen games of chess since that day. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I mean, I, I, I came out and was some, and, and was just affected by something different than what I was beforehand. Yep, and absolutely. it was, you know, I was, it was talk about, you know, the creative destructive aspect there. I mean, there was a lot, I mean, it, you know, there, to a certain extent, you know, the, what it seems like previously was that my mind was filled with a lot of negative space and I had this big bang and it both in the very, you know, literal metaphor I'm trying to create here, right, expanded my mind and created the universe that it now occupies yep. all in that same moment. And everything that kind of came before it, it didn't blow it out. It just got, you know, subsumed or absorbed by this new reality, this new mind space that I had created for myself. Absolutely. And that that ties into my uh, 
<laughs> what I've now twice alluded to, the idea of serendipity in ideas. Okay. Even though this is on a much set, set larger scale. Me. Set this up for me now. Well, what you're talking about is this on a very, very large scale. The idea that you suddenly ran into the life-defining moment up to this point. Yeah. And it filled a vacuum. Yes. Where there was all sorts of connections that were existing in a negative space that just, there was nothing there before, and then they all got populated. Right. I think this actually does happen frequently, but w most people call it either a eureka moment or serendipity or pure inspiration. Where right. they just, they come across something and it's, it feels like it's out of the ether. But the thing that made that epiphany work for you mm -hmm. wasn't reading Henry Kissinger. He's not that good an author. Yeah. <laughs> it was that you had this, you had reams yes. of unfulfilled prophecies yes. sitting underneath that were then all activated. Yes. And the thing, the critical part of that is that you put in, whether genetically or environmentally or just judiciously, you put in all of those things you put in the footwork already. Yes, exactly. You just had not taken the steps. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's incredibly important. If you don't, you know, to use a fourth unattributed quote. Excellent. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do the work to make the epiphanies happen. They are not actual. they do not actually spawn out of nothing. Yes. They require connections. Mm -hmm. Mine wouldn't work if I didn't have a crush on Ratchet the Lombax when I was 13 years right. old. I don't have that connection. Yeah. Um, you, you know, playing chess was as close as you could get yes. to that particular thing. It just doesn't, you have to have something to build on. Yeah, exactly. You can't just have these things come out of thin air. So little in the world actually comes out of thin air. Yes. And that's true. I think, you know, we talked about the, uh, or a little bit earlier, a fetishizing inspiration. I think that that's primarily where it comes from, where people are searching for the spark without tilling and creating the fire underneath it, from which it could light something with, yes. right? People like, Absolutely. you know, that's just, I want sparks. Like the whole idea within their mind is that they're just looking for little, like, you know, flashes from a firefly without what they should be doing is cultivating something that will burn inside them for a very long time. And that is, you know, overall, once again, you know, easier it, said than done, no, but, but necessary. Yeah. And it's true too. Cause you know, there's gotta be an inherent sense that someone is in, inherently building the base of that bonfire within themselves, whether they realize they're doing it or not, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, talk about our net producers, net consumers, right? I think net producers are building that fire, right? And have the, whether the mindset of, you know, knowing that, all right, I'm not going to cultivate the idea that I will be consistently looking for the spark, but as long as I'm constructing and building and using something within, you know, this love of knowledge that we have, or this love of understanding that we try to push ourselves towards, that is the wheelhouse. That is the bonfire that we're constructing that will be lit one day. And we have to pursue that. And hopefully, I mean, really, you know, I'd love to have another moment like that where I could, you know, reorient my headspace and find a way to move forward overall. But I mean, we don't know if that will happen or not. But God damn it, it's not, sure as hell is not going to stop me from trying to have something ready when that spark does come. And it could be, even though we are doing it effortfully now, now that we know that that's to some degree what we need to be chasing it does happen accidentally, and it is worth acknowledging that that buildup can be accidental. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it needs ser serendipitous. Uh, in a oh, word. In a word. Yeah. Okay, in a word. Yeah. But you gotta, you you have to understand that it does not just pop. Yes. That's not. It floods back. Even when you you pull, I was going to use a stupid 
elongated analogy from a Douglas Adams book about the uh, the end of the universe, mm-hmm. where you pull the the bathtub drain, yeah. and the bathtub fills up. Right. That's kind of what happens. Yes. You get, uh, which is a stupid analogy that only works in that book. So I apologize for applying it yeah. here. But it's like pulling the drain on the bathtub and the bathtub fills with water. Yes. Although I guess maybe that metaphor works because it is unexpected and crazy. Well, no, but then too, like, you know, you had realized that, you know, I was a fish, but I was in air, right? You know, like I'm looking <laughs> for all these things and I'm like, I'm a fish wandering in air. I feel detached. I feel disconnected to what I'm looking at. And yet at the same time, suddenly when it fills with water, you're like, no, now I'm in my environment, right? Now no. things make sense more than they did so beforehand. I think that's very good, right? It, and it's also important, too, because what once again, what fills it or replaces it is not is still contains those elements of what came before it, right? There's no just, like, emptying out and suddenly I'm going to have, like, new thoughts and new inspiration and a new self. Like, no, you can't you can't escape yourself that, that wholeheartedly. And really, I think that's what people look for when they fetishize inspiration overall, is they're thinking that, oh, I'll be someone new today. And I think you know, talked about the internet culture that kind of fosters that mindset as well, where, you know, I can be and pretend to be who I want to be when, whenever I want to be it over the internet. You know, the anonymity and the lying that comes from that also, you know, once again, it is that construction that comes from it too. On, the, on that note, yeah. there, uh, <laughs> I got sent a fun survey by Facebook as if they were... Uh, listening to what's going on here or any of the thousands of other people that talk about this kind of thing. I got sent a survey and uh, it had about five questions, one of which was, do you consider Facebook to be a force of good in the world? Yes. And I like that question. Yes. I like that they're asking that question. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rarely the kind of you know introspection that happens that's at a corporate level. Anyway. No, not at all. <laughs> it's nice to know that they're at least sort of pretending to be in it for the long haul. Yeah, no. Well, that takes bravery to ask that question on, a, on an individual level, let alone Absolutely, an institutional level. Absolutely, <laughs> because you're asking every, every person who got that survey, and maybe they knew that I would say that, you know, by some metric, they know that I have at least a distant yeah. Or a new, an appreciation of what they're trying to accomplish, but every person that they ask that question who then thinks about it for the first time and goes, "Oh, actually, they lo- like they lose those people." Right. So that's a dangerous question to ask, and I applaud them for doing so. Awesome. As soulless and heartless as they may be, and on some loftier level, they are at least pretending not to be evil. Unlike right. Google, who has basically abandoned that entirely. Yeah, no. I, it's, it's gloriously slow as well. And I have to say, nothing embodies that more than the new logo. I mean, just oh, hmm. oh, hurts my soul. Well, no, they have a holding... Only Google has to not be evil now. There's yeah. a holding corporation that does not have that slogan. They can do whatever they want. Oh, very nice. Excellent. So but, they've, they've even rhetorically removed themselves. Are you saying they created their own Enron? Is that what you're saying? Um, No, okay. because they're not doing energy trading yet. Yet, yes. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, overall, I have no more inspiration. All right. I'm sorry. Well, it's fine with me. This, uh, this may be the longest one we've got, so. All right, let's sign off. This is us signing off. That's the signing off noise.